Welcome back to the tip of the iceberg. It has been a long time. How long? Too long. October. Are you serious? Yeah, because I remember that we talked about doing a Halloween <gasps> podcast yes. about gender-based violence in Rosemary's Baby and in The Shining. Right. We had talked about that, and then everything got so busy at work. Yeah. That it didn't happen, and that was in that was for Halloween, so it was in October. So it's been like over a month. I am ashamed. I am too. I'm but- ashamed and embarrassed. <laughs> Okay, well, you're laughing at my very laughing valid at your pain. feelings. Well, it's okay. You've had a lot, and so have I. So it's not like we just didn't care about our podcast. We just couldn't do it. We couldn't fit it in. I know, but I also feel that there are people, and by people, I mean my mom. Yeah. You know, my mom is our biggest and listener. And some, some of our people are like, they listen to every episode. That's what I'm saying. I feel it's, bad. I'm sorry to them. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is like, my mom's nice about it, but she's like, I haven't seen, have I missed some podcasts? Okay, I chill. <laughs> I haven't seen any pop up recently. And I was like, I'm Well, not. that's because we haven't done any recently, Mom. Mom, you don't know. Oh, gosh. But as much as I like to make fun of my mom, also, I do feel bad because there are a lot of people that really like the podcast. I know. So we're sorry. We <sighs> just got super swamped. Yeah, Farron says we got super swamped, and I say we're basically trash. We got super swamped, and we both got super sick. Correct. You were sick for like a week. Mm -hmm. I was sick for yeah that long. I my voice still sounds ridiculous. Yeah. So no, it's well. mm, Maybe I'm just used to it. It's not my radio voice. That. It's not my most proud voice. I guess most of our listeners probably didn't hear you. What was it last week? Yeah. Or where it was like, should I come? I know I couldn't even I was whispering and I came to work and they were like what are you doing here you're like on snapchat I don't know if I'm gonna be in <laughs> which is a great intro to our new um segment of the podcast which is what is that whisperer thing like <laughs> yeah a ASMR SM I don't know do you know what I'm talking about nope well I know what you're talking the whisper thing the hissing yeah like I'm talking right now yeah and it's and this is appealing to people wow Me too. But uh, some people really love it. <laughs> what if you did a whole podcast like that? Would your mom still listen? I don't know. Actually, oh, geez. I'm trying to remember. So my younger sister is all, I think it's like, <clears throat> there goes my voice. Yeah. Yep, it. yep, yep. It's the butt of her jokes. This, I'm going to, she's going to listen to this. And I'm going to be embarrassed because I can't remember. It's like a, a, sem- I don't know. Whatever the whisper thing is, she like will make fun of it. But then because she was making fun of it, my mom started watching the YouTube videos about it. And then my mom very genuinely considered a career in the whisper YouTube world. What? I've never heard of this before. Are you? I'm going to have to look at I'm going to pull it up right now. Is I thought you meant the hissing in the background because of our new microphone. Oh, you have no idea what I'm talking about. I didn't know you were talking about like literal whispering. No. No, no, no. Okay, so we just took a quick uh, YouTube break. <laughs> that was horrible. And it was not what I thought. It was people whispering into a microphone. Almost barely, you could barely hear their whisper. That's what I was doing. But it was like, that was not making me homicidal like that woman was on YouTube. That made me legit feel angry and afraid. 
I afraid. I get the afraid. Yeah, I felt angry. I don't know what it is. I wanted to reach so... through and s- shake her to stop. <laughs> Speak in full volume. <laughs> Speak normally. <laughs> that was horrible. And it is called ASMR. I was right. Uh, whatever that is. If that's your thing. Okay. If, if that is your thing, let us know and we will do a whole podcast. <laughs> Livy will. I will not be there. I'll do a whole Okay. Now I'm getting upset. Just nope. Me. Nope. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's awful. Okay. Well, all this to say we are so sorry that we've been absent. I don't know how we got to this point of ASMR because... I don't either. We were talking about your mom and how she likes the podcast and then your sister. Anyway, I don't know either, so I think we should just move on. Okay, great. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. It is genuinely my... New Year's resolution to podcast better. Yeah, same. That's the way it is. Okay. That's your phone. That is my phone. (laughs) I'm laughing because I always uh, yell at Perrin, did you turn your phone on silent? Did you turn your phone down? Is everything on silent? And, uh, well. Nope. Nope. That's me. Anyway. Welcome back. Sorry. But we got a good podcast for you today. <laughs> yeah, we do. We really do. It's a pretty good one. Um, so I don't know if any of you heard about this. I did. Farron did. But I didn't hear any of the details about it. I just heard about this incident happening. Okay. Yeah. So we are going to travel back to Thanksgiving. Yeah. So, you know, you got the smell of sage going on mm. and, the, and the stuffing and, and the turkey. And the turkey. And then also a brutal sh- fatal shooting. Yeah. Related to domestic violence. Really sad. Right. Um. So Tiffany Hill, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think it was, was it the day before Thanksgiving or a couple days before Thanksgiving? Yeah, I, I, it was a Tuesday. November 26th. So yes, yeah, two days, right? Yeah. Thanksgiving was the 28th. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So she had a long stint of domestic violence with this partner and we'll, husband. we'll get all into the details of it mm-hmm. um and it has a really really sad ending yeah but it was interesting because you said it popped up in your breaking news right yeah so i was i don't know if i was watching no i think it just popped up on my phone like how your news notifications mm-hmm. pop up mm-hmm. and it said that there was a shooting at an elementary school in washington and I remember being like, oh, geez, that's really scary. And then like another mass shooting. Yeah, like yeah. another Sandy Hook. How <clears throat> horrible. And then um, later that evening, I saw another notification that said that the scene had been like the scene had been secured. There was no there was one person or two people were shot in the parking lot or something like that. Mm-hmm. It just they made it clear that it wasn't like a the children in the school weren't the targeted um victims and so I remember thinking um I wonder if this is related to domestic violence because a few months ago there was a shooting at that hospital in Chicago I think Mm -hmm. where that that ER doctor was shot by her husband I remember that so I that's always what I think because we know that that happens unfortunately all the time so yeah yeah absolutely yeah so this took place in Vancouver Mm -hmm. and a lot of the news coverage, so geographical locations mm-hmm. for this for this story, Vancouver, 
Oregon, New York. Those are those are the media outlets that have covered this. And I think it's because. I don't know. My geography is really bad, but Vancouver is close to Oregon, correct? Yeah. Right. So I think that there was some crossover there. That makes sense. I don't know if they like crossed. New York is a little weird, but. Well, I'll get to that. Oh, okay. So I don't know if they crossed whatever, but Portland covered it. Vancouver covered it. And um, and then the reason New York was involved was because originally this woman was from New York. Oh. And so not to get too ahead of myself, but her mom was in town when this happened and her mom was in town because she had come to pick her up and take her back to New York to take her back home. Okay. Because she's like, this is psycho. We're not doing this. Come home. And the girl's like, yeah. I'm coming home. And so there was a buzz in New York as well. Okay. That makes sense. So our wonderful lady here, um, what was her name again? Tiffany. Tiffany. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tiffany Hill. Right. Mm -hmm. So Tiffany Hill is a veteran. Mm -hmm. She was a sergeant in the Marine Corps. The nicest lady that you could ever meet, Mm -hmm. says her mom. Mm -hmm. I mean, who's to say, but... Mm -hmm. Um, and just, just the sweetest. And she had three kids too. Yeah. Two girls and a boy. Yep. Three kids. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so when all of this happened, she was picking up her kids from school. Right. And when the shooting occurred, her kids were in the car. Her three kids were in the backseat. Her mom was in the passenger side and she was driving. Mm -hmm. So the kids were not physically harmed, Mm -hmm. which is great. Mm -hmm. Um, Tiffany was fatally shot Mm -hmm. and then Tiffany's mother had I want to say maybe I just have three on the brain but she I think she was shot three times Mm -hmm. and she was in the ICU for a bit but she was expected to yeah yeah. and is now caring for the three children Mm. yeah so how did we get to this point Mm -hmm. right yeah and then after he shot her he shot himself thank you I just don't care about him at all. So, I'm like, so great. Whatever. No. I'm a little too harsh, I guess. No, I don't think that's harsh. Yeah. So um, in I'm, I'm pulling from a lot of different news articles from, yeah. you know, all those different geographical locations. But it seems like he shot them, shots fired. Then he fled and then he led the police on a, on a little roundabout situation and then it ended up shooting himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And luckily in one article I think it said that school had was already out. Yeah. And so most of the people were cleared. That's good. Um, there weren't a lot of bystanders just, who could yeah. have been hurt. Yeah, cuz I'm just imagining like or other kids who would have seen that and been really traumatized. Exactly. The after school mayhem, like the 3:30 mm-hmm. p.m. kids running around like crazy right before Thanksgiving, too. Yeah. Um, but luckily I think they were some of the last people there. Mm-hmm. So that is good. Um, so basically the sheriff's office described the shooting as an escalation of the situation that had already been happening. Mm-hmm. This was kind of the culminating factor. And it seems like the sheriff's office wasn't surprised. No. And it seemed yeah. like they tried really hard to keep her safe. Yeah. They, I, I felt like they did a really good job. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, based on the articles we've read, I don't know if that's accurate, but 
yeah. Yeah. So history with this couple is um, lots of domestic violence. Yeah. Right. And everything that you would kind of expect, um, emotional, verbal abuse, physical violence, um, financial abuse, all of these things that we see so frequently in cases like this were happening. Um, at one point, uh, just looking through the court documents for specifics, at one point, Tiffany got a concussion and whiplash because he, I guess, locked her out of their bedroom and threw her against the wall. Hmm. Um, and then maybe push her into the garage. Oh, it's kind of vague, which I'm not sad about. Sure. Um, but when she was filing a protection order about this, she said that this had happened a billion times yeah. and that this was no surprise. And so the violence happened. It escalated. It escalated. It escalated. A protection order was filed. Mm-hmm. And then this is where we find ourselves. Right. <laughs> right. So <clears throat> before the protection order, it seems like he was a straight up psycho. Yeah. Um, she said that he had been physically abusive numerous times. And this was all in her protection order paperwork. Mm-hmm. She said that he had been arrested before for attempted murder against her in North Carolina. And then he got her to drop the charges. Okay. Um, which we hear about all the time. Yeah. Yeah, which makes perfect sense. And, I mean, let's talk about why that might be. Yeah, I mean, it it's so complex, yeah. right? Like, you know, there's, well, there's the fact that these two have children together, A. Yeah. B, if there's financial abuse happening, a lot of what I've seen with domestic violence that I completely understand is that, you know, the the victim in the relationship is not allowed to have a job. They're not allowed to be financially independent. And so when the person who's financially providing for the family, the husband in this case, is arrested for domestic violence and goes to jail for maybe a, even a felony crime, his employer finds out about it. He doesn't show up for work the next day because he's in jail. The employer finds out that he was arrested for beating up his wife and he gets fired. Mm-hmm. And so now she's mad at everybody. She's upset with him for abusing her, but she's also upset with the with law enforcement because mm-hmm. they took him to jail and the prosecutors because his bail's too high and he can't get out and work and provide for the family. And so, you know, a lot of victims will just say like, I, I need that financial support from him. Yep. Yep. You know? And so that's a big one that we've seen a lot with SAFE with our clients. Mm-hmm. And I completely understand. And then just empty promises about how I'm, I won't do it again. And I'm sorry. And I made a huge mistake. And I love you so much. And so many different moving and, parts with this. And even too, if if the grooming has happened effectively, mm-hmm. I say that that sounds so slimy when I say that. But like if they're good at what they're doing as an abusive partner, then by this point, when it gets to physical violence, so much legwork has mm-hmm. most likely been done yeah. of emotional abuse, of of you can't do anything without me. Mm-hmm. No one will, I mean, you're kind of the worst. Mm-hmm. And I put up with you because I love you, 
but nobody else is going to. Right. You know, and I, you're right. I have some flaws, but you got a lot of flaws. Right. And you drove me to this and, you know, all of these things, like easy to pick from the bucket of the lines that we hear, but all of these things have been said so many times that by that point, it's, it's almost like, it's true. Like, yeah, he shouldn't have given me whiplash and a concussion, but it, this is who we are. And I think ultimately there's too much responsibility placed on victims yeah. to follow through with prosecution mm-hmm. in a lot of states. Because when Tiffany said that he forced her to drop the charges, what she means is he forced her to quit participating with the investigation. And because of that, and because there probably wasn't a lot of like physical evidence or eyewitnesses, because obvious, obviously domestic violence doesn't often happen in the middle of a busy street. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have a lot to go on mm-hmm. if they don't have a victim to testify. And how terrifying is that for a woman who's been abused by this man who has children with him? So she can't just like leave him and never look back because, like Lundy says, abusers still get visitation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To have to sit in court and testify against him knowing that if he's acquitted by a jury, he's going to kill her. Straight up. And so. What I really love about our county attorney in Albany County is that I've seen her tell victims, like, if you don't want to participate, that's okay. And I understand the reasons why you don't, but I'm moving forward. She did that with a strangulation case. I'm moving forward because she had enough evidence and a good investigation by good officers to prosecute him. And she won that case. So I do think it's really important that prosecutors don't just lean on these victims for all of their like put all of their eggs in that basket because that's not safe for her yeah and because we are lucky but I don't think that that's the norm I don't think that's the norm I mean that's like best practice and Mm -hmm. that's what a lot of like the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence and National Technical Assistance um, providers and really famous prosecutors who have a history of successfully prosecuting domestic violence and strangulation cases will say you can't depend on You should not depend on a victim in these cases. So I think that's unfortunate. But that's what we see often with domestic violence is victims who just say, like, I don't want to move forward with this. I don't want to keep doing this. I don't want to I don't want to do this anymore. And, you know, attorneys saying, well, okay, well, we don't have a witness. We don't have a victim. We don't have a good enough investigation by the law enforcement officers who investigated. So we don't have a case. And then a crazy person is just let off the hook. Yep. So that's a tangent. I'm sorry, but no, it, that sucks. I, I think it's one of those things. I think there are several things that as advocates and people doing this work, we see really closely mm-hmm. and we have kind of a front row seat to mm-hmm. um, that most people don't. Mm-hmm. And so while I think it's a tangent, I think it's a tangent that I would find valuable. Yeah. I found it valuable when I was an advocate learning yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, unless you're like doing this work day in and day out. And even like as a volunteer are not being in our office every day, I would imagine they would be like, oh, yeah, let's talk about that. Because mm-hmm. um, I just think there are so many things with domestic violence work that you have to see to understand. Yeah. You don't even think about it until you mm-hmm. see it firsthand. Yeah. 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 So moving forward with with this protection order that she's filing 
Um, she talks about the physical instances, the concussion, the whiplash. She talks all about all of that. And then a very important line that she added is, and this is a direct quote, if he had a gun and got angry and drunk enough, he would definitely use it against me. Mm-hmm. And that was in the protection order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the protection order was granted. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. That was great. And I mean, I'm not at all surprised. No. Because based there on... There was a lot of evidence yeah, that she was, needed it. Yeah. And, and yeah. feeling like he would honestly kill her yeah. is a huge... Is a huge deal. You yeah. Know? And that's why we... That's why protection orders exist. Right. It's to protect people from that happening, ideally. Sure. Um. So regardless mm-hmm. of the order of protection, Keelan... Her husband violated mm-hmm. it several times. Yeah. Yeah. Less than a week after, which would be the, the date of this is October 10th. So if anyone's following the timeline mm-hmm. of this progression, um, he approached her at a restaurant off of a highway. Um, so he like followed her confrontation, the whole nine yards, you know, everything that a protection order is supposed to fix um the dust settled on that and then there was another incident where he found her again and she's like what is happening with this Mm -hmm. why is it that you keep finding me and so sheriffs looked around her vehicle and found that there was a gps tracker in her car which Mm -hmm. is also something that we see yeah not uncommonly no yeah so at that point that was enough to arrest him and he was arrested and accused of stalking, which okay. checks out because that's what he was doing. That's what he was doing. Right. Um, so this is where the Clark County Superior Court Judge John Fairgreave comes in. So he set the stalking, uh, the, the bail for the stalking case at $75,000 during a first appearance hearing. And a week later, the deputy prosecutor was like, nah, mm-hmm. that's not like... We've looked at all of this. We've done a danger assessment. We've I've worked with with Tiffany. I know this is a really scary situation. And so Deputy Prosecutor Lauren Boyd was like, nah, mm-hmm. not doing it. I would like the bail to be set at $2 million. Um, with all of this huge amount of evidence mm-hmm. that that had happened, primarily leaning on the fact that um, she believed he would kill her. Mm-hmm. Tiffany believed that Keelan was going to kill her and a danger assessment filled out by charity sheriff deputies stated that her risk was an extreme risk of being killed by the defendant. So all of this coming together, she's like $75,000 is not going to cut it. We're not going to do it. $2 million, please. And thank you. Um, Oh, and she brought in all of this, like the the drops charges of the attempted murder. Mm-hmm. So with all of that, she's like, nah. Um, so Judge Fairgrieve was like, I hear you. Kind of, we're gonna raise the bail to two hundred and fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So better than the seventy five thousand dollars, a far cry under the two million dollars, but like a safe two fifty mm-hmm. thou. Mm-hmm. You know. Um. So that was at a November fifteenth hearing. At this point, um, and they had requested electronic monitoring. Yeah, right? at this point, that's where that came into play because she's like, "Okay, this is that possible that he's going to bail out." Then. Yeah, and I want to make sure that we're all 
good. Yeah. We're all good with that. And so the prosecutor, Lauren Boyd, was like, fine, whatever, I agree to it. But can we do electronic monitoring of him so we know where he's at so we don't find him in an elementary school parking lot? Shooting people. Shooting people. Yeah. Um, nah. Didn't didn't go over well. Um, the court ordered intensive conditions, but not that. Okay. So one of the conditions was that he was not to have... I don't know exactly what the details are of this, but his transportation was limited. And I think he was on a very strict, like, uh, he was on a short leash. Yeah. Until November 22nd, which was hours before the murder, where he was granted approval to commute to work with a vehicle. Okay. So they went back to court November 22nd and the judge was like, Fine, working is important. I get that. You can commute to work using the vehicle. Um, and there was a specific purpose, and it said for work purposes only. Yeah. Which didn't do a lot because hours later is when the shooting in the elementary school parking lot occurred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of how we got to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... The approval of the transportation granted. A couple hours later, he is in the parking lot. He fatally shoots Tiffany. He shoots Tiffany's mom several times. And the children are in the back seat left to witness this. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after that, he has killed himself. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're at. So... He, I would like to say that he did, he did try to buy a gun, a rifle, I had read, but he was denied because he failed a background check. So as part of, I don't know if it's because of being convicted of domestic violence in the past or it's because he had a protection order against Mm -hmm. him, but either way, that system worked because he couldn't buy a gun legally. I don't know where he got this gun that he used to kill her. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, or did he borrow it from somebody? He could have. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think it's hard to get a gun. Right? So that's what's really scary. Um, and we know that like having access to firearms increases a person's lethality in domestic yeah. violence situations by like hundreds of percent. Off the top of my head, I do not know the statistic, but it's like over a hundred percent increase. Yeah. Um, I was telling Livy that I think it's interesting that the t- the prosecutor talked about a danger assessment because we refer to those as lethality assessments. So, a lethality assessment is basically a list of questions, and there's different assessments that can mm-hmm. be done, but they're not long, they're not hard to do. Right. But a list of questions that you go through with a victim of domestic violence in regards to the relationship that can lead you to a conclusion as to what her risk level is for being murdered. Right. And so advocates use those a lot. We use them at SAFE. Law enforcement uses those. And it's great to see that the prosecutor was like, this lethality assessment, her lethality risk is very high. Mm -hmm. It's frustrating to me, though, because it's clear that the, the judge may not have had that training. And it it's not something that I have thought about before that like we can be trained on lethality assessments. 
law enforcement can be trained on lethality assessments, prosecutors, that's all great. But like, if your judges aren't trained on lethality assessments and you show this as evidence in a bail modification mm-hmm. hearing or mm-hmm. something, and the judge is like, well, I don't know, that's that doesn't make victims safer. So it's giving me like ideas in my mind about like the wheels are turning about how can we make sure that judges in our community have access to those materials and that right. training because I and maybe they do. I haven't I mean, I haven't seen that they don't, but it's just something to think about that I'm going to talk over with Peggy, our county attorney, because yeah. well, and that's and I think this is also hit or miss because we have heard stories in which across the country judges make seemingly poor decisions yeah um when doing the final say and of course like our fingers are all in gender-based violence and so that's what we see yeah um but remembering also that judges while they have extensive training extensive schooling are good at what they do they have to be pretty good to get that position they're also people that have their own biases and their own thoughts and histories and that's scary to me to think that there's there's little regulation of that and it's scary yeah. it's it's hard and I don't I would never want to be a judge yeah, ever me neither. um just like I would never want to be a police officer it's really scary and hard because they have to be able to balance the rights of the defendant who is innocent until proven guilty, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. They have to be able to balance that person's rights with community safety and their own biases and their own training or lack thereof. So there's just a lot of there's a lot of things that have to go into those decisions that are made about whether or not to to release someone on bail or to sentence someone to prison. Right. That that would just be a really hard job. I agree. Yeah. And I'm sure that this judge did the what he thought was right. Yeah. You know, he yeah. I think is a he. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I And I just I think back to lethality assessments, the ones that I've given recently and every lethality assessment that I've seen, although they vary a little bit is strongly evidence-based and I see that because of a through line with a lot of different lethality assessments that I've seen like Mm -hmm. they're they're the same questions you know there are questions like have you ever been strangled before has that happened more than once Mm -hmm. um do you share children Mm -hmm. with this perpetrator um has the violence increased does he have access he or she have access to a firearm firearm or other weapons or other weapons um are you afraid this person will kill you Mm -hmm. yeah and so there's a really common through line Mm -hmm. and it's not like it's i guess what i'm saying is it's not wishy-washy things it's like yes i have been strangled by this person they're yes or no questions and they're They're pretty quick i mean law enforcement officers in a lot of departments do them with victims at the scene of a DV incident yep. in five minutes. They're right. not this like 45 minute long assessment no. with you have to write all this. There's like open ended questions. It's not no. because victims who are victims of acute trauma cannot process those kinds of things. So these are made to be simple and get to the point 
so that we can figure out how much danger this woman is in. Right. And it's, yeah. it's not it's not things like he said, she said. No. It's not it's not like who handles the money. Do you guys no. fight about money? Like, what about discipline with your children? It's not like very open ended, vague things like that. It's like, has he tried to kill you before? Mm-hmm. Has, has he ever strangled you? Yeah. Yeah. Does he have a gun at home? Does he have a gun at work? Yeah. All this to say, cut and dry. Yeah. <laughs> In my opinion. Does he but... use alcohol or drugs? Yeah. Yeah. Because that can increase things. Yeah. Which she said, if he gets drunk enough. Then he'll kill me. He'll kill me. If he has if drunk he has enough. A, he's, if he has alcohol in his system, if he has a firearm in his hand, right. I'm a goner. Done. And those are both things that are on lethality assessments. Right. Drugs, alcohol, firearms. So I think we should explore that in our community. Like mm-hmm. what what do what do judges know about lethality assessments? Yeah, I I would like to because I it's not something that I've really like yeah. processed until reading this article, but it's like, yeah, that could that's really that's unfortunate. Agree. Yeah. 100%. And and this judge, I I feel bad for him too. I do too. I, I mean, that sucks. Yeah. And even, he's like he's obvious. I mean, he's probably a good person and he pro- I'm sure he feels like any judge would feel terrible. I mean, it's just, it's a tragedy. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't know what people are going to do. No, no. And so he released a statement and his quote, he says, I just feel terrible, said Judge John Fairgreave, mm-hmm. recalling when he learned of the shooting last week. He quickly rubbed his eyes and tears welled up, one tear spilling onto his left cheek. Um, this was in an interview with The Columbian, which mm-hmm. is one of the articles that I pulled for. Um and he was talking about all of the factors that generally go into determining bail and why domestic violence is more complicated it than is complicated. other things. And yeah. he says that he feels it's complicated. And this is another direct quote. He says, it's very difficult to predict what's going to happen if the nature uh, is to inflict violence or to continue forward with the relationship. Sure. Okay. Well... So, okay. So when we have a protection order in place, we have a victim who has brought forth evidence that she has been physically, verbally, financially, emotionally abused by this person, that he has tried to kill her. She believes he will kill her. And now there's stalking behavior happening, which is very common when a person leaves an abusive relationship, Mm -hmm. right? I think it's pretty clear that he's not stalking her and putting a GPS tracker on her car so that he can like meet her and be like, hey, baby, I really want to continue this relationship. I want to clean up my act and be the man you deserve. Yeah. Like, no. I'm going to do right by you. He's wanting to, he's pissed. Yeah. He wants to know where she is. He wants to know who she's talking to. He probably thinks she's cheating on him. Yep. Right. He, he's, he's losing control. Because he doesn't know what she's what's happening. And so he puts a GPS tracker on her car. So for me, like a protection order is granted because there's been a pattern of behavior that substantiates somebody's fear that Mm -hmm. I'm going to get hurt or killed. Right. And so for a judge to say, well, you know, we don't know if he's stalking her and acting like a psychopath and putting a GPS tracker on her car because he just wants to continue the relationship or he might want to kill her. And I'm sitting here going, well, 
I think most law enforcement officers and prosecutors and advocates and TV professionals would say he's wanting to kill her. I, or yeah. or commit a violent act against her. Yeah. Right? He's yeah. not he's not trying to like be sweet. Because that's terrifying. Stalking is scary. It's not Agreed. You don't stalk people. It doesn't make people happy to be stalked and terrorized. No. Right? No. So Well and even I'm even, a little confused by even that. Even in the the paperwork with the violations of the protection order. It said it wasn't like he sent her a text message saying like Let's, let's make the, let's, let's meet for coffee. Let's meet for coffee. I want to talk about this. I want to make it work. Yeah. No, it was like he accosted her on a highway. Right. Which is not. I mean, maybe he had roses. I don't know. Maybe he <laughs> threw the roses at her car. It's like like some uh, high speed chase. Yeah. Like throwing roses. Sure. Out maybe the that's what happened. So <laughs> it's a little. Accosted is very romantic. A little word. romantic. A little mm-hmm. scary. Who knows? You know, right on the edge. Yep. Right where we like it. Right. There's just it's a fine line. That's annoying to me. I was I was willing to give him the benefit. Yeah, and I mean, of the doubt fine. I like that, the but. judge. Okay, he feels bad. It's horrible. It's a tragedy. Well, he feels one tear bad. One tear on his cheek, bad. One tear, fine. Bad. But like to say that's just an ignorant, dumb thing to say, mm-hmm. because I guarantee you, no. But I'm not surprised he killed her at no, all. No, not at all. I'm not surprised he killed her in front of his children. I'm not surprised he killed himself. No, none of this is surprising to me. No, none of it is surprising to police or prosecutors. I I guarantee everybody involved in this case is like, yeah, this is what we were expecting to happen. This is why we were trying to keep her safe. That said, though, devil's advocate, that's because we talk. I, I would say every day I talk to a survivor of domestic violence. Yeah. Law enforcement, probably similar. Yep. You know, prosecutors, big part of their caseload. Yep. We are in it. Mm-hmm. Is this judge in it? I don't know. I don't know. But that, I just think it should be assumed that if a person has an order of protection, they've been granted an order of protection, and the respondent to that order of protection violates it, they're not violating it to be nice and kind. We just need to all assume that. Especially because, so thinking rationally. Okay, so I'm putting myself in the shoes of a perpetrator. Okay. Okay. Great. Here I am, perpetrator of domestic violence. Sure. I'm Livy. I'm here. Yep. Bad relationship, made a lot of mistakes, super abusive. Mm-hmm. Me, Livy. Yep. Okay. Doesn't go well. Police are called. Order of protection against me. Mm-hmm. At this point, I have two options. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a billion options, but Livy has two options. I can choose to be a psycho and be like, how dare you file this order of protection against me? We are the perfect couple. This is just blah, blah, blah. All the stuff we've talked about. Dumb, dumb stuff. Okay. Livy, being Livy here, wanting to make a relationship work even if I had really messed stuff up and was super abusive, I would probably be like, okay, this protection order lasts for, let's say, a year, which, you know, they vary. I'm going to spend the next year figuring out why this person is the love of my life. I'm going to get my stuff together. I'm going to get a job. And once the year is over, I'm going to be the most wonderful woman mm-hmm. alive. Mm-hmm. 
And so once the protection order is disbanded, everything is good, then I'm going to win you back so hard. Yeah. Right? Sure. That would be rational. Yeah. Versus me being like... Showing up to your work. Right. Showing up when you're at the gym. Yeah. Randomly. Both the same amount... Both would look to be... I'm trying to figure out how to word this. That's really not as harsh as it is in my head. I think one looks a lot more like trying to pursue a relationship than the other. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So maybe that judge is just confused as to what that looks like. And also, like the bottom line is, this woman isn't interested in pursuing a relationship. Yes. She's filed a protection order. She is not feeling it she does not want to i mean she's done which takes an incredible amount of courage yeah and so even if he does like well maybe he just wants to pursue the relationship it's like well she doesn't so in that case also this is where the bias comes in because in that case we're seeing that this judge places more value on what he wants sure right yeah like we're not reading in between the lines that's just like what it is yeah right because if she says i don't feel safe and he says, I want to pursue a relationship, then he's, the judge is believing him over her. Yeah. Right? And I've even, like, had officers tell, like, police officers, I've heard them tell perpetrators, like, when they show up and they're like, I just, that's my wife and I just want her back. And, you know, and they've said, like, dude, she's not feeling it, man. You got to go. Like, at one point, this one guy was banging on the door at this woman's friend's house, screaming like a mm-hmm. maniac. Mm-hmm. And they called the police because, of course, they did. And the cops get there and he's like, she's my wife. Like, I get to be here. I get to, you know, he's trying to pursue the relationship. Right. Just trying to make it work. Right. And the cop was like, no, you don't. You're going to jail. <laughs> like, she doesn't want to be in a relationship with you right now. And you're being a psycho. So get in the car. Which leads us to our... Which is the right move. Yes. Right. But also leads us to our favorite part of the conversation in every podcast episode. The why doesn't she just leave segment. Thank you, Libby. You're welcome. Okay. So this is why. (laughs) So, again, most women who are murdered by their intimate partners are murdered... After they have left the relationship. Right. That is when he loses control. That is when he becomes desperate and enraged. And that is when he goes and kills people. Mm -hmm. So when your friends or family ask, why doesn't she just leave? I don't understand why victims don't leave. Why do they stay in those relationships? He put his hands on me one time and I'd be out. If my husband hit me, you know what? That would be it. Done. I've had a grocery store clerk tell me that. (laughs) You know, it's just not that simple. And when we're dealing with a batterer, we're not dealing with a rational human being. Like you talked about being rational. Mm -hmm. These men aren't rational. Right. Right. And so it's really scary. And statistically, the most lethal time is when she's leaving. Yep. And so that's why we have to do so much to help her to keep herself safe. Advocates will put her in shelter and we have cameras and we have all kinds of high security Mm -hmm. at our shelters Mm -hmm. and 
Like we have, you know, we have locked, we're locked down. Like if you come to our shelter or you come to our office, you have to buzz in. We have to see your face, know who you are. You know, cops are doing extra patrol. They're on it. Prosecutors are saying like no contact. $250,000 isn't enough. $2 million bail. We need electronic monitoring. Because that's why. Mm-hmm. Because that's when it gets really freaking scary. Yeah. So thank you, Judge Fairgrave. Grieve. Grieve. I like how I went from being like, well, I wouldn't want to be a judge. I'm giving this guy the benefit of the doubt to being like, well, this judge is responsible for this, which he's not. I'm just mad. It was that ignorant comment that really got me. Yeah. I you know me our too. That was triggering. Like, yeah. Our soapboxes of like. Yeah. But like, that's just this, this kind of stuff, like story after story that Livy and I do on this podcast mm-hmm. about women who are murdered. It's when they've left. Yeah. Hmm. It's. It's really, really, it's just the patterns are so similar in all these relationships. And we see that like when we do like roundtable discussions with our clients and, you know, there'll be like three or four of them at the table and they'll start talking about their abuse and they're like, oh my gosh, that same thing happened to me. He's just like, he's just like that. Mm -hmm. They're just like Mm -hmm. each other. I mean, this is, these guys aren't hard to figure out. No. And so, yeah, when a victim leaves a relationship, we that's scary. Yeah. We, as advocates, we're like, okay, this shit's getting real. Yep. Because she left. Yep. And that's when a ton of additional safety planning mm-hmm. comes in and we're, we are working hard to, to evaluate the risk. Yeah. Because we know that, that that's when things get scary. It's when it gets really scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Tiffany's mom spoke out. After mm-hmm. all of this happened, I assume after she was stable in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And we'll just leave you with this, I guess. Um, Tiffany's mom said about Tiffany, she was so sweet, so good, and she cared for everyone. She would put everything aside if someone needed something. Um, she says, because now she's caring for the three kids. She says, I know God will help us. It all happened so fast. We were in the car. We saw him and said, Keeland. And it all happened so fast. Oh, my God. From that moment, it took a second. All I know is the windshield was breaking and I tried to shield her. That's when I got hurt. That makes sense because she was shot in her arms. Yeah. Mom was. Yeah. And and she was headed straight to surgery. So she was super, super injured, headed to surgery. And she said that even how terrifying... The whole thing was, you know, getting shot, being rushed to the hospital, seeing him through the windshield. She said that just before she went into surgery, she found out that her daughter had died. And she says that was the hardest part. I didn't believe it. I said, no, 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 you didn't take my baby. And that was the hardest part. Mm. And those children saw that. Yeah, that's what that's what really gets. And they're not babies. No. So they're going to remember this. Yeah. They're in elementary school. Yeah. Like, you remember elementary school. Yeah. Yep. So it's just heartbreaking. This poor family. Yep. So sad. So tragic. Yep. So Tiffany's mom, Condi, um, is headed back to New York with the kids because now she is the uh, custodial guardian. Yeah. And there is a GoFundMe out there. Yeah, and you can find that online. Yep. They they need a lot of support. Yeah. 
because they have three children to raise. Yep. And funeral expenses probably for Tiffany. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, um, if you Google her name, Tiffany Hill, right, um, you should be able to find her GoFundMe. And if you're, you know, if you feel like, if your heart tells you to, to do that, you can find it. Yeah. Yeah. So sad. Mm -hmm. Awful. And that's our story for today. Yeah. Merry Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You're probably thinking, how do you guys do this every day? How do you talk about this all the time? Well, you have very hard hearts. Yeah, we do. We We are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you just get used to it. Horrible. But we are, okay, I I'm speaking for myself, not Farron. I'm so excited to to get back on the podcast bandwagon. Yeah, me too. I really am. I love it. Me too. So, you have our commitment. Yeah. You should be hearing from us more in 2020. Mm-hmm. Start, yeah. This is, I'm telling you, that's my New Year's resolution. Yeah. Podcast better, more. Yeah. So, if you'd like to be part of that... Please send us what you'd like to hear us talk about. Yeah. Because we are just really embarrassing and we'll talk about whatever you want to hear and make complete fools of ourselves. Yeah. So it'd be helpful if you guys had some good stuff. (laughs) And also if you are a survivor and have a survivor story, you can send that to us if you want it to be anonymous. Mm -hmm. We will totally make that. I mean, it's totally understandable. Um, And yeah. Yeah. Just give us feedback. Those are our most beloved personally. Yeah. Yeah. We love to um, hear from you. Absolutely. And then also our most listened to podcasts mm-hmm. are our survivor stories. Mm-hmm. So send them our way. Mm-hmm. And if you feel so inclined, head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a rating. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be great. Yeah. Well, on that note, happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Happy Happy Hanukkah. We are definitely podcasting before the New Year. Aren't we? Well, next week is Christmas and then New Year's right after. Happy holidays.